Merry Christmas, everyone. Welcome. It's great you could come. I realise a lot couldn't make it here today, but those who have come, it's fantastic you've made the effort to get along today. I've been reflecting on um, presents, looking back when I was a little kid, because I love Christmas as a little kid, mainly just because we got lots of presents. That was really cool. And uh, one, of the, one of the presents I can really distinctly remember, but there's quite a story behind this one. My, my brother John, he was a young adult by this time, and he was going out with this girl called Lynn. And uh, Lynn Reeves' dad invited the whole family just before Christmas to have a meal around their home. So my brother Ken and I, mum and dad, and of course John, we're all there about to tuck into a meal. And um, my mother had warned me, they're very religious, and uh, they're just Christians, um, but uh, we weren't. I didn't have any kind of Christian background or culture, and so we're kind of all sitting around, We've got lamb, they're, they're farmers actually, so it's probably a lamb they'd slaughtered themselves, and um, I'm thinking, why is everyone just kind of talking and waiting? And I just got stuck into it, and I thought, oh, I'm eating it, this smells good, and uh, then Mr. Reed proceeds to pray to give thanks for the food. I'm just tucking away eating. My mother was insanely embarrassed. Can't believe you did that, Lee. Didn't you know he was praying? I said, well, I don't know. <laughs> well, the night went on. We get to the present thing. Um, Lynn had a sibling who was about three years older than me, a little brother, and uh, he had this U-Butte train set, a little bit like this one that Chris is going to put up for us. And um, anyway, I... I was quite taken with it, actually, so we're playing with this train set for a while, and I say to my dad, because it's nearly Christmas time, I have a word with him and just say, oh, what's this? You got a mask for that dog? (laughs) He was not a Christmas present, but he was a birthday present. Um, Anyway, um, so I'm looking at this train set, We're, we're playing with it, I'm thinking, this is great. So I say to my dad, because it's nearly Christmas time, I said, Dad, could you get me one of those for Christmas? Dad had a bit of a look at the box and stuff and said, see what I can do. So Christmas morning arrives. Going through the presents, there's only one left, and it didn't look like the train set. And I said to Dad, didn't you get the train set? Dad said, no, I couldn't find it. My heart sank. Really, I was really th- looking forward to that train set, just thinking, man, I said, well, that was the one thing I wanted, you know, and uh, didn't have it. So with a measure of reluctance, I opened that last present. But actually, sure enough, it was the train set, even though the box didn't look like it would be the right one. So half an hour later, I'm in the lounge room, setting it up on the carpet, you know, the, the, the tunnel, the carriages, the engine, the bridge, and the thing that changed tracks and the whole deal. Got it all set up. Played with it for 20 minutes and then I thought, actually, this is pretty boring. Can't see myself playing with this much more. (laughs) And I think as kids, all of us have had the experience that um, we realise sometimes the very gifts we wanted turned out to be a disappointment. However, there's a couple of billion, 2,000 million Christians to be meeting around churches this Christmas, over this Christmas period, and uh, God the Father would say the gift that he has given, wrapped in the form of a little baby, the baby Jesus, for anyone who truly embraces his message, it will not be a disappointment. Today I'm going to talk about the virgin birth. The virgin birth. The prophet Isaiah said, as recorded in 714, 
Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. So that that was um, something that was written 700 years before the birth of Christ. Now, scholars in the late 1800s debated this because Isaiah, that particular book of the Bible, is filled with descriptions about Jesus, his life, his death. And so some scholars were starting to say, because we didn't have a really old copy of the scroll of Isaiah, they were arguing couldn't have been written back then. It must have been written after Jesus' life because there's too many details. And so that was the sceptic's argument. But then in 1946, a chap discovered a bunch of Dead Sea Scrolls, several copies of the book of Isaiah, but one that was almost 95% complete. And, of course, when the, the dating was done on the papyrus, the paper, it was discovered it was well before the birth of Christ, at least 100 years, probably 150 years before Jesus. And all the scriptures were the same. In fact, um, this guy's got uh, all sorts of things in that book. Here's, a, here's an interesting thing that he writes. Isaiah 40, 21 says this. Did you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. Pick that up. Isaiah, 700 years before Christ, and we do have one copy that's dated at about 150 years before Christ, God sits above the circle of the earth. Hundreds of years later, it took a Christian guy called Christopher Columbus to discover the world was round. It was already in the Bible 700 years before Jesus. Fascinating. The, um, the intelligentsia of the time thought the world was flat. I'm sure Isaiah frowned as he wrote those words. He didn't know what it meant. Let me give you another one about Jesus. Uh, Isaiah 9, 6, that should read, actually. It says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Here Isaiah writes that there's going to be one born into the world who's going to be called Mighty God referring to the birth of Jesus. I'm going to read a little bit from the Gospel of Luke about the birth of Jesus. Familiar words, probably for everyone. But before I read from Luke, let me suggest that this is not just a book of religious sayings, but this is a historic document. Let me give you some evidence to back that up. So Frederick Kenyon, British Museum. He worked there as the director and principal librarian for many years. He's an expert in ancient manuscripts and uh, he's, he considered Luke an historian of the first rank, meaning an accurate historian. I'm going to read from Luke now. Luke 126, it says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How can this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born of you shall be called the Son of God. Now, Some skeptics have argued that uh, the people of that time were so uneducated that they accepted the virgin birth because they thought biologically it could happen. Well, that's interesting. It's perhaps why God chose Luke to record it, who was a doctor of medicine, apparently a very astute one. But you see, if you just, skeptics so often don't actually study the text. You study the text, for instance, Matthew, and you realize there's no way that was the case. Matthew, an accountant, a tax collector, not prone to wild thinking, he writes this, Matthew 1.18, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, that is the teachings of Scripture, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had mind to divorce her quietly. Why it says divorce her is because when you're pledged to be married, it's a form of engagement, but it was much more binding than our engagement today. So once you were pledged, the only way to get out of that pledge was a divorce. Um, but did Joseph say, oh, well, he sees Mary's swollen tummy and says, oh, well, I guess biologically sometimes that just happens. No, he was going to divorce her because he, he immediately, of course, thought she's been sleeping around. Well, I'm out of here. It's over. Passage goes on and says this, but after he had considered this, and it needed something dramatic to convince him, after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And here Isaiah is quoted again. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Joseph woke up. He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Another argument that has been presented is that uh, the concept of a virgin birth was there in ancient Grecian literature. Just like, of course, George Lucas makes the most of it with Anakin's birth in Star Wars. And, of course, it was in a universe long ago. But the reality is, let me quote from a scholar. Um, here we read from Dr. Thomas Thurborn, a critical examination of the evidences of the doctrine of the virgin birth. He says this, the concept of the virgin birth did not originate from ancient Greek philosophy or any pagan circles. The fact is in literature, there is no evidence it ever appeared before the writings about Jesus. Let me give you three brief theological reasons why the virgin birth is important. Number one, the pre-existence of Christ. The pre-existence of Christ. Let me quote from John 1.1. John was uh, Jesus' closest friend. If anyone knew whether someone was divine or not, 
Well, it would be your closest friend. If you've got a close friend, you will know whether or not they're God, I'm sure. Well, Jesus' closest friend was John. This is what John writes. In the beginning was the Word. It's a title, W-O-R-D with a capital W. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. So the whole of creation was made through the Word, capital W. Now, who on earth is the Word? Well, a few verses later, John reveals it. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Because he already existed, because Jesus already existed, he did not need to be conceived in the normal way a child is. The pre-existence of Christ, another, another re- important reason why the virgin birth was essential. Number two, Jesus' sinless nature, 1 John 3, 5. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Jesus claimed to be sinless, and the writers about him claimed that he was sinless. Since our race is contaminated with sin, writes Josh McDowell, a miraculous entrance in the world would be required. One more theological reason. Legal rights to the throne. You see, it's recorded in Jeremiah that the lineage of Joseph no longer has legal rights to the throne. Joseph, Jesus' stepdad. Let me read it to you. Jeremiah 22, 28. Jehoiachin, you are unwanted like a broken clay pot. He was a king of the southern kingdom of Judah. So you and your children will be thrown into a country you know nothing about. Land of Judah, I am the Lord. Now listen to what I say. Erase the names of Jehoiachin's children from the royal records. He is a complete failure, so none of them will ever be king. None of them will ever be king, not his descendants. I, the Lord, have spoken. And now to go to Matthew and look at the lineage of Joseph, look what we see. From the exile to the birth of Jesus, his ancestors were Jehoiachin, Sheatil, and it goes on, we're right there, yep. And it goes on right through, getting towards the end there, Jacob and Joseph, the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So in other words, Joseph's lineage, you cannot be king through that lineage. God's made that clear. But you see, Joseph's not Jesus' dad. God the Father is his dad. So three good reasons here. Why is belief in the virgin birth important? The pre-existence of Christ, Jesus' sinless nature, legal rights to the throne. So sorry to get a bit theological here at the end. But let me get back to the nitty-gritty as I finish this up. People don't believe in the virgin birth because they don't believe in miracles. That's the heart of it. Because they don't believe in a God who is active in this world today. That's really the heart of it. And yet, um, me being a pastor for many years, I have seen countless miracles that are unexplainable without God. And there are many here today you could testify to. You could tell me stories of miracles you've seen. There was one three weeks ago here in this church. This is a little baby, so it's a very fitting story to tell at Christmas. This is Richard and Di's grandson. I'll read you Richard's own words. We've been praying for the little chap, little Connor. He was due to have keyhole surgery to open up one of his heart valves to improve heart functionality. He's 16 months old and has previously already undergone open-heart surgery uh, when one day old. The hope was that 
the new keyhole surgery would improve heart flow, there was uncertainty as to whether or not it would work. A team were on standby ready to perform open heart surgery again to replace his heart valve if the keyhole surgery did not succeed. Connor was prepared for surgery and put under anaesthetic. And as a final step, they ran tests to measure his heart functionality only to discover that his heart was now already performing at the rate they were hoping to have been able to achieve with the keyhole surgery. As a result, they decided the surgery was no longer required and that he was sent home the next day. They had no explanation. No explanation. No explanation. But as a, a group of us know, we've been praying for exactly that. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, yeah, yeah, but Lee, you know, no medical practitioner is going to accept some sort of miracle healing. They're never going to accept that, really. They're not. Pamela and I, when we were young adults, our family doctor was Rob Vanderlist, and uh, he was also a member of our church. Well, many years later, we were visiting um, where we used to live and thought we'd go along to our old church, Newnham Baptist. That particular Sunday, um, the person on announcements called Rob forward to pray for him and invited Rob to share what was going on. Uh, Rob said, yeah, sometimes as a medical practitioner, you know too much. And uh, about six weeks ago, I thought, I've got a lot of symptoms that would indicate I've probably got serious cancer. And so I have myself booked in for an examination, blood test and scans and x-rays and so forth. And it turns out I have a fist size cancer, cancer the size of a tennis ball. It's, it's um, shown to be malignant. I'm going to be operated on in a few days, so they've rushed it through. Um, I am nervous about it, he says. He says, you know, look, I, I know God can, can heal through the surgeon's hands and chemotherapy and radiology. You know, I, I'd, I'd much rather he just miraculously heal me, so I'm, I'm fine. You feel free to pray that. <laughs> so a number of us came forward, and we knew the vandalists pretty well because we used to go around there oh, every so often for young adult lunches at his home. Um, uh, so this is not long ago when the, the cancer thing took place. He's much older, and we were much older. Um, anyway, so we laid hands on him in the church service, and we prayed for him. He went in for surgery a few days later. Surgeon opened him up, and the fist-sized cancer was gone, completely, 100% gone. No chemotherapy required, no radiologist, no trace of cancer in his blood cell. Jesus had healed him. Now, he's a medical practitioner, and he would give all credit to Jesus. Let me just say again, people don't believe in the virgin birth because they don't believe in miracles and therefore don't believe in a God who is active in this world today. But where do you stand today? Where do you stand? Is it time this Christmas to accept God's miraculous wrapped in the form of the baby Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary. You know, when I was, um, I've already explained, I didn't grow up in a churchy background at all. My parents didn't do church at all. When I was about 22, I remember coming off stage after a gig late at night, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning or something, feeling a bit flat. And I looked up to the stars the universe, 
and simply said these words. God, I don't know if you're real or not, but would you help me know if you're real? Would you reveal yourself to me? And in the back of my mind was a big question. Is there more to the bricks and mortar technology and music of my world? Is there something I'm completely missing? Well, I was sincere with that prayer. It wasn't just shooting up an aimless prayer. It was, it was a heartfelt thing. I wanted to know if God was real or not. Over the next few months, the Lord revealed himself to me. Dramatically enough that I could never not believe. I wonder, is it time for you to pray a prayer like that? Last week we had uh, Cain. Cain's still 19, I think, isn't he? Excellent preacher, young lad preaching the word of God. And he challenged us. He said, some of you have wandered away. Spoke on the prodigal son. It's time for the prodigal return. Well, I want to echo that today too. Some of you may have wandered away. Is it time to return? I'm going to pray that prayer, that very prayer that I prayed as a young adult. I invite you to pray that too, and then I'll pray generally for everyone. So bow our heads for a moment of respect to God. God, I don't know if you're real or not, but would you help me know that you're real? Would you reveal yourself to me? Father, I pray for anyone praying that prayer sincerely today. If they've wandered away, I pray you might draw them back with that sincere prayer this very day. I pray this Christmas for each and every one of us as we've gathered here to remember the birth of Christ. I pray for your hand of wisdom and blessing over each of us. May we celebrate Christmas in the way that you desire. May you be glorified this Christmas as literally hundreds of millions of people gather in churches all over the world. I pray, Father, your Son would be glorified.